1: Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Ghost Chronicles, The Next Generation. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper to the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable, the mystical, the magical, the macabre, New England's own Van Helsink, with me all the way from the land of the East Bridgewater, is the blonde bombshell herself, Miss Ann Kerrigan.
2: Well, good evening, everybody. How are we doing? I'm not going to ask you, Ron,
1: but <laughs> and, and today is, of course, a very special day because it's Anne's birthday. Yay!
2: National holiday. Woohoo!
0: Yeah,
2: I wish. I wish.
1: <laughs> it's a holiday for me, anyways. Nice yeah. I saw you posted on Facebook all the the uh, the dead uh, sea life on your plate there that you're going to eat. So yeah, that yeah. Was
2: It wasn't dead last night. Mm. (laughs) It was, uh, I had my lovely sushi last night, so, well, I guess technically it was dead, but it was freshly dead, right?
1: Yeah. Do I have Uh, to put that uh, one up on there about the octopus again?
2: (laughs) No, I don't want to hear about the octopus. Eh, Thank you. No, but tonight I had cooked fish. My husband made some lovely salmon, so, yeah, it was cooked tonight, but whatever.
1: Yep, I, haven't eaten, I haven't eaten 24 hours so that's terrific
2: oh really? god you should not even be on the radio
1: <laughs> so anyways we're he not here is. to talk yet- about us we're here to talk about ghosts and other things that go bump in the night like Bill that's Hall right. Bill are you there?
3: <laughs> yes I am
1: <laughs> hey, Bill. hi Bill and, and first of all um, to get you started you're a fellow, fellow New Englander aren't you?
3: Yes, yes, from uh, Connecticut. All
1: right, that's that's almost New England. That's really southern <laughs> New York. I southern New York I think, isn't it?
3: Yeah, I guess you could say, huh. <laughs> Although I am more towards the uh uh the Massachusetts part than the uh, than the New York part. Well, I might be kind of in the middle, but anyhow. All right, we'll give it to you. We'll give it. Yeah. all yeah. right. For this show I'm a little bit more towards Mass. <laughs> there you go.
1: So um Tell us a little bit about your background and, and how you got interested in this uh, book that you wrote.
3: Well, uh, I've been doing magic since I was seven. Um, well, I mean, poorly at that time. Um, little, <laughs> a little bit better now. But I mean, and so I was always interested and in, uh, always very curious and uh, interested in uh, um these kinds of things you know the unknown and ufos and i grew up with some of the shows that were on the 70s like that's incredible and uh, in search of and for those older folks not old but older folks uh, might remember them and uh and also wrote a newspaper uh column uh, magic in the unknown for uh a period of years um And so that got me into uh, investigating these things as best I can. Uh, Some of them were, uh, uh, you know, you'd kind of shrug your shoulders, that was interesting, or it's an urban legend. And other things really, uh, you know, piqued my interest because there was a lot of substance and verifiable parts to it. But uh, as far as Lindley Street goes... Uh,
1: I want to stop you on that for a second, Bill, because I I found that interesting. I I didn't know you had the magic background, so I do apologize for that. But Ann and I I just did this thing uh, this past uh, September called Spirit Quest, and we do it every year. And this time we looked at the beginning of uh, spiritualism and ghost hunting. And one of the things we did is we had uh, a magician uh, perform a red light seance to understand that how the the uh, you know how they got some of those effects that the early uh fake mediums used not all mediums were fake but the, the ones they used in the beginning, so I found that interesting and and, and i've really gotten into magic because uh, I really realized there is a connection between magic and the paranormal
3: yeah I, I think it's a it's a good I think it's a good uh, knowledge base to have. Uh, And it's also taught me to, you know, aside from, okay, this is a hoax or this isn't a hoax, because uh, I find it's more misinterpretation or mental illness or anything like that when it's uh, not real versus, I mean, there's some people, of course, that will will fake, but I mean, um, but uh, by and large, I think, uh, the advantage uh, or the skill that it gives is really to kind of question, uh, in a broader sense, uh, some of our you know theories about the paranormal or interpretations of what we what we see or experience. Okay. Anne.
2: Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was just I'm sorry. I was just paying attention to the chat room because we do have a oh. question, but I. I think maybe we should talk a little more about
3: uh, oh,
1: yep.
2: about what Bill's book is about, and then okay. I'll ask that
1: question. Uh, okay, I just, I just don't okay. want you to die on me. That's all. No,
2: I won't die on you because we're all we're all going to be in the grave then. So
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then it won't be live radio. You know. Right?
1: <laughs> well, you know, my tagline for Ghost Chronicles Morning Edition is bringing a whole new meaning to dead air. Oh,
3: yeah, that's great. I love it. Spider-Man.
1: Yeah, anyway. hey, it works. Yeah. So, so Bill, you grew up in Connecticut, and of course. The the house you are talking about in your book is also in Connecticut. So, how did you get interested in that particular house? Uh,
3: I was uh, actually having coffee, doing what most intellectuals do. I was reading the Wall Street Journal. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, you guys know it wasn't that. Yeah, it was Facebook. I was, I was, I was there <laughs> messing around with Facebook, you know, part of my busy schedule in the morning. And uh, I, I on one of the community pages, because I grew up in Bridgeport, Connecticut, where it happened, I, somebody put a post there, does anybody remember the, house, the haunted house on Lindley Street? And it occurred to me, I never really looked into that. I mean, I remember seeing it on TV when I was 10. Um, I, I couldn't tell you what I saw, but I remember it was, you know, a big event, and Uh, Of course, in those days, you know, I was the remote control and my dad watched the news nonstop. So, and it was on all the time, uh, uh, you know, at that time when it happened. So I remember being enamored by it, but uh, never really looked into it. You know, it ended up getting out of mind and then moved on. And I saw that post and I said, you know, let me finally. Uh, look into it more and one thing led to another i was reading all these newspaper reports and i was fascinated by uh you know the degree and the quantity and, and credibility of the witnesses and i felt there you know was definitely something more to it re- regardless of what happened you know i still didn't know if it was real not real or you know but it certainly appeared like it was you know legitimate poltergeist case uh and uh that's how it kind of got uh started
2: Wow. Now, when you um when you decided to so all this research pushed you to write this book about the world's most haunted house. And have you visited? I, I mean, can you still go into the house?
3: No, it is uh it is occupied. Um uh so, you know, I originally thought it was unoccupied, but a uh, little old lady lives there, so uh, I'm still trying I'm still trying to get in but i'm uh, I'm at least uh stopped scaring her because uh it, <laughs> it, yeah, well it had a rusted uh, chain on the on the front gate, so I thought nobody was there so I'd walk around the property i'd knock on the doors I'd look in the windows and you know come oh. find, until a neighbor told me that uh you know she calls sometimes scared somebody's trying to break in and oh, no. You know, and because I guess everybody thinks it's unoccupied. It just doesn't look like anybody's, you know, been there. But uh, so, yeah. So then I felt kind of bad. I was scaring some, you know, little old lady. Uh, Yeah, because he goes, well, she only used the back door. I'm like, oh, yeah, figures. You know, Uh Uh, but yeah, so I haven't. But I really, you know, ideally, I'd love to do a lecture in there. I mean, that would be just the ultimate uh mm-hmm. you know, because you could actually point and stand and you know be where the different things actually happen, so that that would be pretty cool,
2: wow, so can we can you tell us a little bit of the background of this house? I mean, I know you have the book about it, but kind of in a nutshell, you know what went on there
3: uh sure uh, from the public point of view uh you know we could start with that that's a nice uh you know, more condensed, high-level version. Uh, Police officers, uh, one police officer shows up at the house in response to uh, the family on the porch hysterical. They knew the officer. He lived across the street and was a friend and neighbor. And he goes in the house while they're on the porch and sees all this stuff happening and uh, calls for backup. And more police officers show up. Uh, and they see refrigerator flow, they're they're seeing um, uh, tables slip and uh, things coming off the walls, and, and things are happening in every room that they're in. So they don't know what to do, so they call the fire department. The fire <laughs> department comes, and now, of course, you've got, you, yeah, yeah you can see what's happening here. You've got multiple police cars, and, and then uh, actually 10 firemen showed up with two chiefs, and uh, in, in three different uh, units. Uh, so you get all these emergency vehicles out there. The firemen come in there. They look around the house. They're like, you know, everything's fine with the house, but we can't, you know, we can't help you with this other issue going on. Yeah, <laughs> really. Uh, right. Yeah. So uh, so one of the firemen calls uh, the department chaplain and says, father, you know, I haven't been drinking, but, you know, this is what's going on here. And uh, they go to get him. Meanwhile, a neighbor. Who has seen Ed and Lorraine Warren at one of their lectures calls them and says, "Hey, you know, you know, my neighbor's having this issue here, and there's every police cars and fire engines and a crowd starting to form, and you know, this is this is the real deal." And so Ed and Lorraine come down with Father Charbonneau, who they worked with, and uh, Paulino, who was a seminary student at the time, and uh, so now these crowds are building and building. And uh, it gets to a point where uh, Rudders is there and Associated Press and it goes out on the wire and the story goes across the you know, around the world. And meanwhile, the wow. crowds, crowd's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And you know, the, the superintendent of police is just going absolutely bonkers because he's got uh, there's traffic blocked for over a mile in every direction. <laughs> you know now they got a paddy wagon down there with dogs and they've got police on crowd control i mean this it, it's just you know, it's the roswell of haunted houses going on and, <laughs> and uh, so finally um you know the next day they put up barricades and you had to show your license to get on the street but still it was just a disaster with all these people and oh, wow. uh, media is coming from farther and farther away uh, I mean, this thing went in uh, newspapers in Israel and japan and in Australia, I mean, it was just everywhere and it was on the news and and so again, you know the police is going nuts and um finally, after two days of putting up with uh trying to control it all and of course the expense factor of all these you know officers and whatnot uh and they announced that it's a hoax, and everybody goes home and that and that's <laughs> the that story no. <laughs> and Get out. Right, the end. And, you know, of course, behind the scenes, it really started uh, much uh, earlier and, and went on much later. And the crowd may have went home, but of course, the, you know, the problem uh, continued. Uh, but, uh, you know, what's fascinating about it is, uh, you know, as far as witnesses, you had three quarters of the police department and uh, you had a dozen firefighters. You had reporters who would go into the house thinking that they're you know, going to have this fun story. And then they realize that now they're like part of the story. They can't observe from the outset anymore because they just went into it. Right. Um, you know, and, and you have priests and neighbors. And so, you know, the the, the the witness pile kept going. And, of course, that's part of what kind of did that old school social media with which gathered the crowd, not only the emergency vehicles, but all these people are coming out of the house and they're telling everybody. And, of course, you know, more people are coming. And so it really was a crazy situation where the family had to deal with you know what was going on inside the house, and then they had to deal with the sociological problem of the crowd and and trying and Jerry the the husband trying to go to work and whatnot while all this was going on. That's kind of the nutshell. Of course, you know we'll get deeper, wow. but I mean, um,
2: so this so, all happened in a in a really very uh, you know a short window of time. This this kind of uh you know from calling the police to you know Ed and Lorraine and everybody coming i mean this has happened like over a few days
3: yeah i mean in the public's eye it uh, it uh, was uh, leaked on sunday that's when it you know started and it was all of monday and then on tuesday um, uh late morning uh the hoax story hit so that they really put a kibosh on wow. rather rather quickly
1: Mm-hmm. that's hmm you That's know, amazing. A telephone call from the dead. That's ignore you know that.
2: <laughs> Tell the dead to leave a message.
1: Yeah, I think it's one of the Warrens trying to contact us. <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> oh boy. So uh, Oh, that's bad. Get rid of that phone.
2: <laughs> so we ha so we have all these all these uh kind of the all these people here and I mean do you think that maybe it got to a point where there was such mass hysteria that people were kind of seeing what they wanted to see?
3: Um, I, You know, I actually, from everything that witnesses said, even uh, people who were outside in the crowd uh, who saw, who saw uh, the swans, they had these decorative swans move, uh, I haven't had any witness that relayed, something that did not happen you know and when people say mass hysteria and mass illusion i mean um i'm sure that there was uh things that i mean there were some rumors i heard but not as far as actual witnesses interviewed you know like some like Somebody on Facebook would say, "Oh, you know, I I heard a policeman jumped out the window." It's like, no, they didn't. It was a tiny little house, and there was a door in the front and the back. You'd have to be an idiot to jump out the window. It'd take you ten times (laughs) ten times as long, anyhow. You know. So (laughs) granted, there was rumors out there, but as far as witnesses go, uh, I mean, these witnesses were incredible. Uh, You know, I'll give you an example of uh, you know one of the police officers' examination. Uh, actually two quick examples which I think uh, illustrate you know who we had as witnesses I mean when there was four police officers in the kitchen and the refrigerator floated uh, I mean they didn't run they went over to it when it was over and they tipped it and they looked underneath and examined it they examined on top and one went in the basement and examined the ceiling I mean they weren't idiots you know Uh, and and And, you know, the greatest thing was the documentation on this case is really uh, unheard of because um, if you had six people who all saw a particular event, they're all interviewed separately uh, and both on paper as well as audio by paper, there would be an incident sheet for every uh, phenomenon that took place. And uh, and and Boyce Baby, the interviewer would do, who led the investigation, would say, "Okay, where were you? Who else was there? Where were?" They? And he would do this with every single person, and uh, their descriptions were exact other than their point of view like one person would say i saw it from the very beginning someone else would say you know i I didn't catch it from the beginning i saw it when it was you know in flight or whatever so you'd have different perspectives or angles but uh the the testimony was was identical and these were all different people uh and and so you know the the whole you know people say mass hysteria that that works on like a a general kind of uh, a level uh but when you get to exact um you know exact incidents experienced in detail mm-hmm. in an exact manner um, right. You know that it, it doesn't work that way. You know, and of course that's that's what that's what they said a lot too in the in the hoax story. But you know, of course, when you announce it, and you don't have to prove a hoax. So you don't have to go back and say, well, here's how the refrigerator floated, and here's how you know. Right. And here's here's why sixteen of our uh, of of the police departments said it was all real. You know, <laughs> you don't have to say any <laughs> of that. So it's uh, it's quite convenient. So. so- Right. So, Bill, I'm a little curious. I mean, this the you guess
1: the initial call is a family out in the porch is hysterical. How does it get from there to like you know, you said it was a small house. Where, where do you have you like do you have like a dozen police officers in the house? I mean, they're constantly what, what's going on? I mean, what is what is really happening in the in this time period? Is it is it like a tourist attraction in that there are people constantly in the house or, or are the family actually still living there?
3: Well, uh, when this, uh, happened, yes, the, you know, the family were there and people were going in and out of the house, uh, uh you know, all, all the time. And there was quite a lot of people <laughs> scrunched in that tiny house oh, yeah. know, at, at certain points in time. But, you know, and, and, uh, um, but, uh, probably there was a few police at uh, any given time. So, um... But the very first day, uh, the the neighbor across the street stayed overnight uh, with the family because, you know, they didn't want to be alone. And, uh, and there were times where they didn't stay at the house and, and or they had uh, their daughter stay somewhere else. And so there was a whole mixture of things going on. But uh, for those two days, they uh, not, uh, not the entire time, but I would say the majority of the time, they did have other people with them. I mean, the Warrens were there quite a bit. Uh, when the Warrens weren't there, Paulino, you know, the seminarian student was there, seminary student was there, or Father Charbonneau, or uh, police, you know, they had police protection uh, inside. Uh, so uh, for the most part, they weren't alone um, uh, during that part of it. During other parts, they had to really mix it up because that was after it was declared a hoax. But uh, the interesting thing, of course, is the, the police still provided police protection inside the, the home even after they declared it a hoax which is oh wow you know which is uh, interesting i mean crowd control you can understand because that doesn't mean anything but they did they did provide i mean they knew it wasn't a hoax and uh, and it really was a it, it was an opportunity that presented itself to them because uh, on tuesday morning one of the officers who did not see the phenomena from the prior days Uh, Saw Marcy, uh, the little girl, uh, kick a TV on the carpet and said, aha, you know, you did it and asked her, why did you do that? And she said, well, I want to see if the demon would do something. That was her response. But, you know, from there, it was like, oh, you made uh, the cat talk, too. And she used to pretend that the cat could talk. And there was this whole thing about uh, different uh, uh, police officer, reporter and Father Charbonneau all heard. Uh, The cat talk and and numerous others, including the family. And I don't believe the cat talked, but there was audio... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, but there was audio phenomena there, and of course, right. you know the way our ears are. If, if the only thing there in the direction is the cat, we say the cat talked. I mean, nobody actually saw the cat move its mouth and talk, you know. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, there was footsteps. Well, and, and,
1: and, Bill, I mean, if you go back to uh, the, you know England, the, the famous mongoose talking mongoose there. I mean, that's that was well documented as well. So maybe the cat talked
3: yeah may you know uh, I mean that could be my theory is is it was uh you know audio phenomena, I mean, Jerry the father said that uh when the cat was the only thing in the cellar, and there was banging on the door mm-hmm. and uh and you know scream, you know, let me out, you dirty Frenchman and you know, and people would <laughs> yeah, and people would laugh like you did when they heard it, and he would get quite upset, i mean he was dead serious about it, and very, very concerned, of course, but so wow. I mean. I I attributed that to being audio phenomena. I mean, the police also complained about guttural sounds coming from the swan planters on the porch. But again, they were seen moving, so I think that's how they got, you know, associated with the sound. I mean, it could be wrong. Like you said, maybe it really is, uh, you know, uh, directed to that area as part of the effect of. uh, uh, And it's uh, difficult because
1: you're investigating it after the fact,
3: right? Right yeah right. I mean I was I wasn't there to uh to hear and even even like Paulino who was very much there in the thick of things um he, he you know he wasn't outside so he didn't he didn't see the swans or hear the swans and he himself did not hear the cat talk so I mean everybody had like a piece of the puzzle but I did have uh, you know, I did have the interviews with Father uh, Charbonneau, who had heard the cat talk, and Bob Pantano from WNEB Radio, who said the cat talked. And, you know, so there was, uh, you know, that testimony. But, of course, I didn't witness it myself firsthand. Although, if I did, I'm not sure if that would have been any better, because I probably wouldn't have just, I wouldn't have believed myself. I wouldn't, have, I probably wouldn't figure I was a credible witness at all. But, uh, um, you know. <laughs> But,
2: and it, it's funny because I'm. I just um, I just went on, hopped on Google Images to see. I wanted to see what the house looked like, and that is one teeny tiny little house. It's like a yeah, kind
3: 738 of like ranch square feet. Yeah, it's a yeah, little yeah. Seven hundred thirty-eight square feet. It really was three wow. rooms, and yeah. uh, and they made a bedroom for the daughter by knocking down uh, a closet off the master bedroom, which you know, wow. I don't even yeah, know if they, you want to call it a master bedroom. It wasn't really big enough to be to be that. But
2: yeah. So uh, and and you can see um, one of the pictures. You can see the two swans. There's these uh, swans that sat on like you know, right outside the, the doorway.
3: Uh, yeah, you know, and, they, and they really became uh, you know iconic uh, you know with that whole uh, event uh, as uh, you know the. The way people just recognize and remember the house. Mm,
1: yeah. Maybe wow. you can post and those. Post those on our page, uh, Ian. The picture. Yeah, a couple of pictures. Oh. of
2: Yeah. Let me. Um, I'll when you have a chance.
1: When you have a chance. Download Get it. it. Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah. But that but, uh, is pretty crazy. <laughs>
1: So I know we're coming up to break. Uh, the other thing I was going to ask you was: It difficult for you to, you know, sort out the the actual uh, eyewitness accounts and the urban legends and the and the stuff that was, you know, that made up on. Uh...
3: Um, yeah, I mean that's a good question. I didn't. It wasn't difficult for me because I simply did not put anything in the book that was a rumor. Um, and, 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 well, I shouldn't say that I did put, uh, I did put one thing in there with an asterisk saying, I couldn't verify this, you know, (laughs) that, that I believe it could very well be possible, but, uh, you know, I, I couldn't verify it, but yeah, I simply left it out. Like I heard, uh. Um, there was a story that Barbara Carter, the tutor, uh, you know, ran out of the house when she heard the cat yelling. Well, she never she never mentioned that in her interview, so it's not in the book. Okay, you know, so we have just, to take a break, you
1: break right now. So uh, you're listening to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation right here on Tojanet, Pararex, Ghost Channel, Planet Paranormal, The Ghost Box, who knows where else. And we'll be right we're speaking with Bill Hall, uh, author of The World's Most Haunted Play- uh, House, and we'll be right back after the following messages.
3: Everything you heard about witches is
1: true. Halloween is the time of year when the shades of the dead whisper from forgotten places, and spirits walk among us. The witches of Salem, Massachusetts, (coughs) honor this time with Festival of the Dead, an annual event series that explores death's macabre customs, heretical histories, and strange rituals. Founded by Salem Witches, Sean Porrer, and Christian Day, and hosted by the foremost authorities
3: on the spirit world, Festival of the Dead beckons guests to step through the veil into a mysterious realm where spirits await you. To learn more or to purchase tickets, visit Festival of the Dead.
0: Welcome
2: to Talking Net, radio with a cutting edge An oasis in
3: this hectic world.
2: And welcome back to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Ron and Anne and our special guest this evening, Bill Hall, author of The World's Most Haunted House. Welcome back. You still alive, Anne Helsing?
1: I am. Is
3: Bill with us? <laughs> yes, I am. Uh-
1: <laughs> there we go. So anyways, we're talking uh so how long did this whole thing go on uh time-wise and did the family eventually move out or how did it all end? I guess it would be kind of the question.
3: Well, uh it it began in a very uh mild way in 1968 shortly after uh Laura and Jerry Uh, who lived in the house after they adopted uh, Marcia, who was four and a half at the time. Uh, She was adopted from Ontario, Canada, and she was a five nations Indian. um, And uh, she was the youngest child of nine. She was tied to a chair, which of course implies abuse. We don't know a lot about the other family. So she comes to, she comes to the house and she's very introverted and, and, and shy and, um, uh So she she goes to Catholic school there and is doing okay. And Jerry's hours get cut back, and and uh, she ends up going to public school. And uh, so now, you know, flash forward, she's picked picked on at school daily um because of her olive skin, plus the fact that she's very you know withdrawn. And then she gets beat up at school and find finds herself at home in a soft body brace and. Uh, Now now she's there for six weeks in the tiny little home with her overbearing mother. And her mother is – her parents have an unhealthy parenting child because they had uh, style because they had a – uh, By bi- their biological child, Jerry Jr. was uh, died when he was six. He was a special needs child. He had cerebral palsy. Couldn't do anything for himself. So when they got Marcy, it was oh no, Marcy, you can't go across the street, you might get killed. Oh no, you can't walk to school, you might get killed. You know, so oh god, <laughs> yeah. So there was a lot of drama and and stuff in there without a poltergeist. So that was kind of the classic poltergeist setup. Uh, when this happened, she was ten, almost eleven. And uh, I'm not saying Marcy, quote-unquote, you know, caused it, but certainly those were those prime conditions where she was at the center of it. Um, and uh, so in 1968, shortly after that, I am getting to the answer to the question. Sorry. <laughs> I just right. it, oh, yeah, officially... I just thought it was good to kind of give you that uh, context there. Yep. and so shortly after they adopted her uh some things started happening but very mild you know like where you see the door move out of the corner of your eye you know keys missing thought i'd push the chair in you know that kind of thing mm-hmm. and uh then in 1971 november 71 these banging sounds started on the inside and outside the walls and uh they would occur you know all times all times of the day and night and um they called the police and, yeah, they didn't, they didn't think of supernatural. In fact, the family openly uh, didn't believe in the supernatural. They were devout Catholics, but they didn't believe in any of that stuff. Uh, well, at least until later. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> later on, they were kind of forced to believe in something, you know. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so they couldn't figure out what the noises were. And then they kind of went away. And uh, in 72, they came back around the same time in the fall. And uh, the officer, Officer Holsworth, across the street, said, hey, let's record them. Maybe, you know, maybe the authorities could figure out what they are. So they actually recorded them, and that cassette was given to Ed Warren, and Ed Warren gave it to Boyce Beatty, who gave it to me, and that actually is available in the book as a bonus feature where you can go to the website and actually hear the sounds. But that was recorded in 72, and then it happened again in 73, and now we get to 74, and... And uh, in 74, that's when that series of events with Marcy happened. Uh, where she, after she was home for those six weeks, um, that's when this thing exploded. They went away to uh, New York on the weekend on Saturday and came back. And uh, Jerry's bringing groceries in, and the table lifts up and uh, flips on the mother Laura, who's in the kitchen throwing groceries all over. And this standalone console TV comes down and breaks her toe, she didn't know it was broken. And uh, and dishes, dishes start flying around, and yeah, you know, so these crazy things are happening. Finally, it calms down. They bring Marcy in out of her nap from the car, uh, and uh clean stuff up, and they're uneasy, not really knowing what to do, and they end up staying up till like, 3 in the morning. And then the, then, when Jerry wakes up the next morning, uh, he sees the refrigerators in front of the door, and the table flips again at him, and then, and then there's uh, these three heavy recliner chairs, single recliners in the living room, and they're opening and closing by themselves. And that's when oh, he said, geez. yeah, that's when he said, that's it, and he went and got... Uh, Laura and uh, Marcy, and they went out on the porch. And, huh. uh, you know, that's when they uh, tried to get help. Actually, the only people the Gooden family called uh, were their friends, the Hoffmans. They, you know, they're good friends that they played cards with. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, uh, Mrs. Hoffman that called the police, and Mr. Hoffman got in his car to c- go to the house to help Jerry, not knowing, you know, what was wrong. In the meantime, they went out on the porch, and so that's how kind of it progressed. So, you know, so some people say, oh, they called the police for attention. They actually never even called the police. They called for their wow. friend to cross the street, but, I mean, they called initially. The only phone call they made was to close friends of theirs. Um,
2: wow. So at this point in time, the little girl, they you said she was adopted when she was about four.
3: So yeah, she's, she's four, four and almost, a half, yeah.
2: So she's almost a teenager, right at this point she's like 12
3: maybe she's, you know she's maybe 13. 10 going to be 11 in, de- in that december so
2: oh okay uh, yeah. yeah
3: so she's preteen but she's still right around that cusp of that you know classic right. poltergeist <laughs> definitely yeah never- i know
2: right well that's what i'm thinking you know and it's uh yeah it sounds like you know like all the things you've ever heard about a classic poltergeist experience
3: yeah yeah, I mean, uh, normally, you know, we do find a teen or preteen and, uh, you know, in some sort of, quote, unquote, you know, drama or trauma, as I say. Now, we know, of course, that exists. I mean, my children should have had poltergeist. But <laughs> you know, so we know there's more to it than that. But I mean, you know, we definitely know that that's, you know, the classic uh, indicator uh, and some people you know I've said, "Hey, do you think you know Marcy brought it with her? Do you think it was something over where she was? Well, I mean you know it could be you know we do know the house definitely was uh in the right area for something like uh, to, to be prone to something like that um, uh be, you know it had an underground spring running under it it uh oh. that that area in bridgeport had uh, high water tables, sandy soils. Uh, they had power lines all around the house so, so it was like it was kind of set wow. up <laughs> to to, yeah. ignite, to ignite something paranormal and, and uh Bridgeport in Connecticut in general has uh, has a lot of that stuff i would imagine mass does too but um so so it you know the area plus the situation i guess uh, together uh, certainly spelled the uh, Uh, you know poltergeist but and and some theorize it's more than that Uh, although i guess it doesn't have to be more it really depends on what what you believe a poltergeist is um you know I, i prefer to describe it by its behavior but um you know there were entities involved uh plenty of things happened when marcy wasn't there i know some of the classic uh theories were you know the person is usually there but you know then again there's yeah, uh, there's all sorts of theories, but uh, always but, lots of theories. Was that always lots of theories? Right, right. <laughs> I, I mean, the best theory that I've heard uh, was uh, the multiverse theory, uh, because everything that happened there. Um, and, and again, yeah, this theory too. I could be wrong, you know. <laughs> but uh, uh-huh. uh, it, it just appeared. Uh, like, uh, you know, when you say floating refrigerator and things like that, I I classify into two sets, you know, intentional acts and kind of unintentional as a result of this uh, energy or um, almost like two bubbles coming together where the the worlds intersect or, you know, uh, and this isn't my theory. I'm stealing it from a bunch of people, but, <laughs> That's fine. Uh, you know, but uh, but to me, that seemed to be uh you know what made the most sense but of course there's a lot of unanswered questions like you said you know theories same thing with unanswered questions there always is but and there were other houses impacted so there was at least three houses that i that i found out um on Lindley street that were impacted at at the same time that this exploded not before but when this exploded yeah um and and i'm hearing that you know in my research i found that that's really more and more what uh You know, years ago, I don't think we looked for that as much, and uh, and I know none of the investigators looked for it back then. Uh, But I think today it's much more looked at. And in fact, I was at a UFO convention. I was, uh, it it was interesting how much they talked about the paranormal and how you know if there's a UFO sighting, there's I think it was an eighty-three percent chance that there would be a haunted house there. You know, and just you know, just that we're starting to. Used to be, you know, the ghost people shouldn't talk to the UFO people, and UFO people should talk to (laughs) ghost and let nobody talk to the Bigfoot people, and you know. So, uh, and and I think today that we're, uh, you know, one of the and and again, probably not that recent advancement, but one of the things that I like to think is that's one of the, the bigger advancements is us at least recognizing that this stuff seems to be connected. In a bigger way than maybe we originally uh, thought, or we didn't think about it at all, you know.
1: Right. Right. So, I mean, they called evidently they called the priest, in. was there any effect uh, uh, with the priest?
3: Um, Father Doyle, who was called in when he came, you know, he he felt uh, it was hard to breathe and everything. Of course, he said it was an evil spirit, and um, and, and there was house blessings done, but I mean, nothing. Uh, uh you know wasn't that anything helped or, or anything like that. Okay. I think that's what you're getting at, right? Did they do anything that helped?
1: Right, exactly. Uh, and then they brought the Warrens in and the Warrens were, they weren't able to do anything either.
3: Um well, you know the the big thing I that I would say that everybody did was uh uh you know the Warrens were a good comfort to to the family and until they until the family turned on them for you know for some good reason too. But um you know, they were comfort to the family and so were the priests. I mean, father Doyle told the party line, but behind the scenes, he was always there for them to, uh, you know, to talk to and whatnot. Um, I know father Doyle was trying to get an exorcist, exorcism done. Not that I think that would have <laughs> done anything, but, um, but of course it, it became so public. It was, you know, it'd be ridiculous to, you know, for anybody to want to get step in there and get involved. Uh, but, um, the, you know what the Warrens had said which was good advice they said if things are a lot of things are happening in one room get up and go to a different room you know leave the situation so that it can calm down and uh, then leave stuff where it is and you know so so we can you know look at what happened and um, so that that was their, their advice and uh, when they weren't there and Paulina was there in fact at one time the 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 energy, the negativity and energy, you know, of course these things know how to push buttons and, and, uh, there was, it was forming this orangey kind of cloud, uh, that was filling the house. They actually had to leave the house and, you know, then, then things calmed down. So that, that was really what the Warrens offered was, you know, keep moving. In other words, <laughs> you keep moving. Um, All right. But then they later got mad at the Warrens because Ed made uh, toll calls to the the media. (laughs) Oh, jeez.
1: Yeah. Uh,
3: You you know, I mean, in his defense, all right, there already was a crowd there, and and I'm sure that the media would have found out. But he, you know, they were mad at him because he certainly uh, sped up the process. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he he made toll calls on their phone. And, you know, they're they're obviously not you know, wealthy people. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Jerry's a maintenance man living in this tiny 738 square foot home. And, you know, Ed's making toll calls. Right. Uh,
2: right.
3: Yeah. So and that it was, obviously, uh, yeah. you know, that was part of it. But, uh, you know, who knows? I mean, it, it's also some, you know, some people say, well, they shouldn't get mad at Warren's and stuff. And I'm like, but you know what? On, In everybody's defense, these are not normal circumstances. So, I mean, a lot of people would say, well, you know, Laura's out of her mind. And, yes, she was neurotic. And, you know, and I agree with all that. But these aren't, like, great situations to get to know people, you know. (laughs) 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 You know, so, So, I mean, you know, who knows.
1: Eventually, how did this end, basically? Did it just
3: stop or did the family move or what? Uh, No, they. I mean, they wanted to sell the house and couldn't. Uh, and they they especially wanted to move even even after it stopped, and we'll get to how in a second. But even afterwards, they wanted to because, like Jerry said, you know, can't live or work in this town, and you know, the people were you know uh, the people were you know a, bit, a big problem that wasn't going to go away as quick as the poltergeists did. Uh, so what what had happened was uh, in 1975, um, uh, Father Doyle arranged with uh, the Catholic school Marcy used to go to. Uh, arranged a scholarship, a partial scholarship, to make it affordable for the Goodens to send uh, Marcy back to the Catholic school, where she was doing good and was happy, uh, beca- because uh, the Goodens said, you know, no way is she going back to, you know, this other school where she's picked right. on and then beat up and every you know, she's not going back there. Uh, so she went back to St. Patrick's, she was happy there, she was back to her school routine, And the family was happy. And, uh, you know, that's what made it kind of dissipate, you know, as Hmm. as uh, uh, as, you know, one of my friends who does a lot of these investigations. I mean, uh, he said it nicely. You know, when somebody calls and there's a haunting problem, he says, I I always first try to find out what's happening in the family. Yeah, I mean, it may not be because of that, but, you know, we do know that that and that was the case with this um i whatever it is and and you know in the book i call them parasites it it seems like they almost uh, you know feed on that kind of um you know that energy and when it's not there then you know they go away whether they're you know i i and this is part of the my magic upbringing i try not to make any assumptions and sometimes i wonder if they even want to be there you know i mean you know like some people say, "Okay, they're evil, and they came here, and they're trying to get us." And you know, I, I don't really, you know, maybe they come here and say, "Oh crap, you know, <laughs> look where I am," you know, I don't know, <laughs> you know. So it's uh, it's it's interesting to explore all those different questions, and, uh, and you know, and try to well, think out, outside the you know some of the assumptions that we that that look like they're the right answer when you first look at it, you know.
1: I mean, you, I think that you're very lucky in this in this case because you have so much documentation. And it, it happened during a modern time, uh, you know, where there was you know, you know uh, many reports that, that were uh, easily recorded. Back in the olden days, you know, you, you really have to dig through stuff be, uh, to find anything. So that makes it a, a really interesting case in itself.
3: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And 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 I was lucky that. Uh, the investigators you know a voice and there was two guys from Duke University I mean they did such a great job because I was afraid as a magician I was going to hear things like yeah the refrigerator floated oh that's interesting what happened next and then they're like oh no yeah and then you never really know what happened you just know what they perceived you know Uh, but but he was they were sticklers that wait a minute okay you said the refrigerator what was the very first thing you saw it do you know what did you well did all the legs lift up was there noise was it smooth what did it do did it come out you know very very detailed and so you know because again I, like you said I, I wasn't there so uh to actually have those kinds of descriptions when you're when when i was done i knew exactly what they saw and then when you had multiple people saying it uh, you're right i mean that it was it was just a gold mine of documentation that you rarely see I mean, imagine if we had this for you know bell witch and stuff, you'd I mean, be wonderful know, right. you
1: know.
3: Right, it, and, and and it it is rare, and and it was still going on when uh, when the investigation came, and that's also granted it was starting you know on the other side uh, getting a little bit better, but and, and even that is uh, very lucky because of course these things are usually not incredibly long lived, and they're uh, sometimes hard to even study while they're still going on and there's witnesses around etc and and the police force mandated that their officers uh, participate in the interview so it was really uh unusual you know they they expected to get the go pound sand remark instead it was thank god you called you know come on in here let's help the family let's just keep it hush hush and not get the newspapers involved again you know
2: right and um, we do have a question in our Toginet chat room from Nate, and, and also one from John. Uh, Nate wants to know, do you think writing this book and discussing it at different programs, lectures, etc, would bring unwanted visitors to the house? And do you discourage people? from going, you know, paranormal
1: sightseeing, so to speak. You know, stop people from looking in the windows and rattling the doors.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, don't scare the little Portuguese woman. Like I did. Yeah, don't do what I did. Yeah, I could see me in a promo now, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, don't do what I did. You know, don't scare the woman. Um, Well,
2: I just, yeah,
3: yeah, I wonder if more people
1: would
3: go. Because that was one of the problems
1: of the Andrea house, if you remember. Oh, uh, yeah.
3: Yeah. yeah well what what's interesting you know when I talk to the neighbors around that house um I mean people have been taking pictures there since uh since this lady moved in in the year two thousand she's been there fourteen years so i mean it's it you know it's it's something that people grew up around there i mean they know the house um right. now do I think more people went there as a result of my book probably um right. You know, I I ask them and, you know, I try to mention in my lectures, please don't bother the, you know, the the little old lady that, you know, like I did, like I did, you know, (laughs) I always say that, please don't do, you know, now that I know she's there, I don't go walk around, you know, I thought thought it was abandoned. But um, as far as, you know, phenomena happening, um, you know, I do. I do and I've talked to other people about this because at first I thought I was going nuts but there were some strange things happening with with the recordings and and I would be the last one to cry you know, paranormal. In fact, uh, Boyce Beatty, uh, who was the interviewer back in 1974 on one of the cassettes, he mentioned some problems he was having, and I remember thinking to myself, "Oh, come on! Don't you don't expect me to believe?" <laughs> you know, I remember <laughs> myself having that reaction, and then I started having those same problems he was talking about, and I'm like, "Oh my god!" And of course, later on, I got to know Boyce and knew he was, you know, incredibly intelligent, very scientific. Uh, did an amazing job in the investigation and uh you know he's he's still with us, thank goodness he's eighty one and and still smarter than me and uh <laughs> princeton grad i mean he was the guy to have on on this investigation but um so, you know, I heard that, but I, I was sending out these, uh, I converted them to MP3s, and I was sending them out uh, to probably about a dozen people for translation to try to make it, you know, easier to assemble things, you know. And uh, and they were coming back to me, you know, half of it's missing, oh, no, wait, it came back. And, you know, and they're all coming back to me with the same kind of problems. Wow. That's- that's what was weird, because there was like a right. dozen of these. Now, some had no problems, you know, and, and others didn't have problems, but they said, oh, I started listening what it is, and I'm not helping you, you know. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. But, uh, but so so that was strange. But um, and, and I've heard from other investigators that uh, stuff like that happens with uh, recordings, and, and they've even mentioned, um, uh, you know, sometimes they have something in a picture, and then, you know, it's not there anymore, and, you know. And, and, right and it ticks them off because now they're you know their evidence is gone and you know uh right. so so all that was new to me as a learning process and going through that but uh I, I did you know i did gain a lot of confirmation that you know you listen to the sounds or whatever it's not like you know one's going to come you know invade you or whatever uh,
1: Any, anyways i know we're running out of time and i want to uh if people want to get in touch with you how can they do that and can you give out your website and and where you're going to be next
3: Oh yes, um, uh, you can find all that information at worldsmosthauntedhouse.com. Worldsmosthauntedhouse.com. There's even free uh, gifts there for listeners, and uh, my event schedule. I am going to be in Massachusetts, actually. I think it's my very next, uh, my very next uh, lecture, I believe. Now it's my second to next one. Anyhow, at uh, I don't know if this is near you guys, but Tewksbury Public Library on uh, oh, yeah. November, November 18th.
1: Yeah, I've lectured there uh, many times. Uh, I'll have to let my son know; he goes to all of those for sure. Well, pizza yeah. from the dad is here. Who uh, oh, heard the pizza? Yeah. Now, so, I
2: just I want to throw out there that Bill is a very prolific uh, author, so you might want to check out some of his other books as well. Really? And I, I, I am. I, well, it looked like it <laughs> from your oh. website. No. <laughs>
3: Uh, well, no, this is my only book. I do have another one will come out next year, but this is my first book. Book, you know. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I just wrote. Oh, you it. know
2: what I'm look- You know what I'm looking at. I'm sorry. It says Bill's Paranormal Book Montage. Those are all just favorite books of yours.
3: Oh yeah, from from Goodreads. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. It says about the author and that. Yeah, um, I have to think. Right, right. I, I, I,
3: yeah, I liked where you're going with that, but no, I I got to be truthful. <laughs> oh, sorry.
2: <laughs> <laughs> all right, this is his first book. Go buy it.
3: Yeah, yeah. So yeah hopefully, so I'm much, a little uh, pro- prolific. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thanks so much. It was really interesting, uh, and I think it's a great idea because now that you've documented this case in this book, we now have it to look back on if we have similar cases to, to compare it. So I think that's awesome, and, and, and research alone.
3: Yeah, I, that, that was my hope. It was one of those stories that I know, at least uh, you know, where I grew up. Just so many people just want to know what the heck happened there. So.
1: And, and we had one other quick question, and that was from John. He says, have you ever looked into the Sally house?
3: Uh, I've read the book. Um, I haven't you know, looked into the house itself, but uh, I read the book and was very intrigued uh, by it, and I understand that they uh, lecture and, and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I would love to. I understand it's either – I believe it's either still going on or kind of uh, – um, when something happens in the house, it affects the husband. I heard. Uh, so that, yeah, so that's that. That is a bizarre case. I've heard of it and read the book and and liked it. And um, but no, I haven't been there or investigated anything.
1: Well, Bill, thank you so much for taking uh, time out of your evening with us. And uh, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing the book. So it, yeah, I mean, yeah. So thank you very much, and uh, we wish you the best of luck. And let us know if you get any, uh, you know, other new books coming out. We'd love to have you back. All right.
3: Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Uh,
1: so from, thanks, uh, from uh, Van Helsink and the Blind Bomb Show, uh, till next week, good night and God bless. Oh, next week is the video production, right?
2: Live show next week, folks, from EBC-TV. So Big tune out. in. Yep, ebctv.org. Good You'll night. find it. God us. bless. Good night. Thanks for listening, everybody.